All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to be reading in verses 20 through 31. Galatians 4, 20 through 31, and we will finish up with Galatians 4 today. Um, Galatians has a lot of theology in it. Um, as we all know, uh, Galatians, uh, in a nutshell, is about what the gospel really is. And the gospel is that we are made right with God, not by works, not by who we are, not by anything we could do, but one, there's one and only thing, and that is what? What's, what makes us right with God? Faith in who? Jesus. Yeah, not just faith. You can have faith in Muhammad, faith in Buddha, faith in anybody you want to, it'll do you no good. Faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone makes us right with the Father. And, and so... Paul has been giving us a lot of reasons why this is, and um, he's going to kind of finish up today in, in chapter 4, and next week we'll start, he's saying, okay, you've been set free, now what do you do with that freedom? So kind of next week in chapter 5 and chapter 6, we'll start looking at the practical applications of what we do with our freedom in Jesus Christ. But today, Paul's got one more argument um, why we should be free in Him and not slaves or beholden to self-righteousness and the law. So, uh, to, as we talked about last, we started last week uh, in, in Galatians 4 talking about true freedom, what it really is, and we'll finish that up today. So last week, we asked and answered the question, what is uh, true freedom? And, and what we said was this, that you are truly free when you have the opportunity the ability and the desire to do what will give you true joy and leave you with absolutely no regrets, okay? So as, that's why Christians are really uh, the truest people in the world. Jesus said it this way, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Only Christians are really free. Well, why? Well, because not only do we have the opportunity to serve Christ, we have the ability and the desire through the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of people, by the way, a lot of people have the opportunity to serve Him. Everybody that hears the gospel has the opportunity to serve Christ. But we, because we have the Holy Spirit, we not only have the opportunity, we have the ability to do it and the desire to do it. And by the way, no matter what, like we talked about last week, somebody jumps out of an airplane, right? And they've got the ability to jump, they got the desire to jump, they got the opportunity to jump, and they jump out of the plane and they think... This is the greatest thing in the world, and they don't know the chute's not going to open and it's going to kill them, right? So to have true freedom, you not only have the opportunity, the ability, and the desire to serve Christ, we've got to know that a thousand years from now, we're not going to regret it. And by the way, I can guarantee you that a thousand years from now, no matter what you go through in this life, no matter how hard this life is, no matter what trials or tribulations or suffering that you have to go through in this life, I can guarantee you that a thousand years from now, there will be no regrets. Okay, so that is why Christians are truly uh, free and free indeed. However, even though we are free, we have to be reminded that as Christians, there are still desires within us that make us prone to leave the God that we love. Um, we all have de desires to be self-made. We all have desires to be self-righteous. We all have desires within us to be made much of by other people. Um, and, and by the way, just because you get saved doesn't mean those desires 
immediately disappear, right? As we go through life and move down through time, the Holy Spirit is constantly sanctifying us and cleaning us and getting rid of those desires. But as long as those desires are in us to be self-righteous, it's a constant danger because Satan will use them to draw us back into slavery. So last week, we asked the question, how do we get rid of these lingering desires in us that are not good for us, these desires to be self-righteous, to be self-made? In other words, how can we be truly free? Uh, And Paul told us last week, right? He says in Galatians 4.19, he said, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until what? Until Christ is formed in you. You see, what Paul says is, is what happens as we grow and mature in Christ. Somebody, somebody quote Galatians 2.20 for me. Anybody quote it? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the night life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said it's not me who lives anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. He's he's coming in. He's taking over. I'm becoming like Him. I'm seeing like Him. I'm thinking like Him. I'm talking like Him. I'm I'm becoming... By the way, you know what a Christian means? It means a little Christ. It means Christ-like. That's who I am. And that's what Paul says. That's what happens to us as Christians. Christ is formed in us. And as He's formed in us, those desires that we have that are left over from that old nature, they begin to fade away. They begin to to die, and and Christ becomes formed um, in us. And by the way, when that happens, look what Paul says in Romans 12 too. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? Think. It's exactly when Christ comes in, and he begins to take over, and he begins to change us. And by the way, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a week. It doesn't happen in a year. It, it, it takes a lifetime. It takes years. But what happens is all of a sudden, you, your thinking changes. What th- This used to be important. Now this is. This used to make you angry. Now it doesn't. You, you used to could never forgive. Now you can. It, it actually changes the way that you think, your, your logic, your reason. Everything changes. Um, now, in today's passage, Paul is going to give us an argument are going to continue to give us arguments why the Galatians should rely on faith in Christ and not on works of the law. You remember, just uh, we got some new people here, so just real quickly to go back, there's a Galatian church, and Paul has come in and established a church. He preached the gospel. They believed. But what happened, some Jews came down from Jerusalem, and they said, oh, no, no, having faith in Christ is not enough. You've got to actually be circumcised. You have to follow the law. You have to, when there's a Passover, you have to go through all the rules. If you really want to be a Christian, you've got to be a real Jew. And Paul comes in and says, oh, no. No, if you go back and try to add works to faith, you've basically, you've abandoned grace. You've abandoned, Jesus died for no reason. It's faith and faith alone, and that's what you have to stand in. Now, he's given us argument after argument after argument as to why that is. Um, last week he gave us an argument from experience. Now today he's going to come back and he's going to give us one final argument based on an allegory. Okay, now an allegory, in case you don't know what that is, an allegory is a story or a poem or a picture or something that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning. Okay, so Paul's going to tell us a story 
And he's going to say that's an allegory. It means something um, else. So let's walk through today's passage. We're in Galatians 4, and we're going to start in verse 20, and we're going to go through verse 31. Galatians 4, start in verse 20, and we're going to go all the way through verse 31. So let's just start with verse 20 and 21. Let's walk through it, and let's see what Paul is saying. So he's writing. He says, I wish that I could be present with you. This is in verse 20. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now, the Judaizers, like all false teachers, always misuse the Bible. Okay, the, the, If somebody comes in here and they start, they say, uh, John 3.16, if you worship Satan, you'll have a happy life. What would we all say? We'd say, well, get out of here, man. See, a false, a false teacher looks like a teacher. Right? They look like a real teacher. That's why they call them false teachers. If they, they didn't look like a real teacher and act like a real teacher and teach like a real teacher, we'd know they weren't a teacher. A false teacher always comes in and gives you the Bible, and it actually sounds good. It sounds right. Uh, in fact, if it were possible, even the elect would be, would be misled. But because you know the Bible and you know Scripture, you cannot be misled by a false teacher. Now, one of the ways that we, what Paul does here is he's, the Judaizers are coming in and they're saying, see, the law says this. The Old Testament says this. And Paul says, oh, okay. Um, you want to, so let's go back here. He says, okay, Paul, the, the best way to combat this, Paul knows, is to go back to that Old Testament Scripture that they're using and actually give the correct interpretation. So, so here they are, they're appealing to the Mosaic Law, and uh, Paul says, okay, you want to appeal to the law, let's go back and see, what does the law teach us about freedom? Does the law set you free? Okay. So, in order to answer that question, Paul is going to go back to the Old Testament story of Abraham. Let's read in verse 22 and 23. So Paul's writing, he says, memory says, what does the law say? Let's go back to the law. He says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, let's go back to Genesis, and let's go back and read and remind ourselves of what happened to Abraham and Sarah. What is Paul talking about in that verse? Let's, you don't turn there, I'll just read this. This is a story that Paul's talking about in Genesis 15, 1 through 6. It says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And God said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he, talking about Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, this exchange with God happened when Abram was 75 years old. Okay, Sarah, uh, his wife at the time, her name was Sarai. God would later change it to Sarah. 
Sarah was 65. She was 10 years younger than him. So he's a 75-year-old man. His wife is 65 years old. And remember, God, when he called him out of the land of Ur, he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And here he is at 75 years old, and he has no kids. He has no children. And in that day, if you died and you didn't have any children, then your top servant would get, your, would get everything. And so he had a servant, kind of a right-hand man, whose name was Eliezer. And that's what he's talking about. He said, Lord, you hadn't given me no kids. If I die today, everything I got is going to go to Eliezer, my servant. And God said, no, that's, that's not what it's going to be. I'm going to give you an heir. And in fact, he took him outside and said, look up in the sky, count the stars. If you can number them, that's how many uh, in descendants you're going you're gonna to have, right? So Abraham believed him. Now, so he's got one little problem though, right? Ten years go by. God gives him a promise, says, you're going to have a son. One year goes by. Can you imagine the first year? You think Abraham's pretty pumped? You know, every month he's like, you know, Sarah, are you, you know, anything going on? <laughs> you know? And a year goes by. Now two years go by. Now five years go by. Seven, eight, nine. Finally, ten years have gone by, a decade. Abraham's now 85 years old. Sarah's 75 years old. And nothing has happened, right? So they get nervous, and they decide, you know what? Maybe we need to do something our own. So let's read. This is in Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go, to my, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened, or Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So ten years have gone by. They do what most people, you know, we all say, well, why didn't you just wait on God? We'll see here in a little bit. This is human nature. It's what we all do. Ten years have gone by, so they decide, God must be waiting on me to do something. Right? You know, he gave me this promise. He must be waiting on me. So we're going to make this thing happen, and that's exactly what they did. So what we see is that Abram and Sarah weaken in their faith for a time, and they, they come up with a plan by which they use their own resources to kind of help God fulfill uh, the promise. And so Paul summarizes what they did. If you go back to Galatians right there, tw uh, chapter 4, 22 to 23, I think, Paul summarizes what they did by saying that Ishmael was born according to the flesh. Now, what does he mean by that? Why does he say Ishmael was born according to the... Isn't every child born according to the flesh? Why does he say Ishmael's born according to the flesh? Huh? Out of promise. Out of promise? <coughs> yeah, it wasn't part of the promise. It was out of promise. Okay, so why is he... But that, I'm, I'm look, a little bit more than that. What, why is he saying he was born according to the flesh? Spiritual. Huh? It wasn't spiritual. Okay, it wasn't spiritual, but why wasn't it spiritual? Because they did it on their own. Okay, they did it on their own. It was... It, what, see, what he's saying is when a man or a woman takes matters into their own hands and attempts to help God out by trying to bring about God's promises by human means and, and any devices of self-effort, 
then, the, then Paul says you've acted according to the flesh. In other words, God gave you a promise, but you decide, okay, I'm going to help him out. I could not help thinking when I wrote this. Remember years ago when um, Oral Roberts said he was going to die if he didn't get money? Do y'all remember that? I don't remember the whole... I don't remember the whole thing, but he said God had promised him something, and then he comes out and says, if, you don't, if I don't get a million dollars or five million dollars, God's going to kill me. And I remember thinking, that's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard, right? But can you see what he was doing? He was trying to, okay, this ain't happening, the money's not coming in, I need to help God alone. So I'm going to come out with this outrageous, ridiculous statement, right? So, but we all have a tendency, if we're not careful, to do that. We all have a tendency, you know, um, you know you're, you're praying for someone to be saved. You're praying for a certain situation to happen or something. And when it doesn't happen in a month or, a, you know, two months or six months or a year, we have a tendency to, okay, okay, I need to, I need to get things rolling here. I need to do something out of my own. And, and Paul says when you do that and you rely on your own self to make things happen, you're doing it according to the flesh. It's not spiritual. Okay, it's not out of faith, it's out of, out of us. So, by the way, a promise from God is not a challenge to you and I to assist God in bringing the promise to pass. Okay? Despite, and i got to put this in there, despite our ridiculous cliches that encourage people to do that very thing, things like God helps those who help themselves, you need to take that statement and bury it and never say that again. It's not scriptural. God's not waiting on you to do something until He can act. That's not. When you do that, when you take it on yourself to bring God's promises about, the Bible says that is uh, working according to the flesh. Now, religion, man-made religion, is always filled with this kind of stuff, right? It's always, man-made religion will always encourage human beings to, on planning and performance, you do it, right? You, you you come to church, you know, real regular. You do this. You do that, right? It's not about performance. It's about faith, and that's what Paul keeps coming back to. So Abram acted according to the flesh when he listened to his wife instead of God's, thinking that somehow... By the way, Abram really... At the end of the day, Abram really believed when he got that son, Ishmael, he really believed that God had given him that son. Now, how do we know that? Do you know what Ishmael means? Ishmael means God has heard. So he, he, goes, he, he goes through all of this stuff, has a son, and then names his son God has heard. In other words, he really believed that all the stuff he did, he brought about God's will. Everybody see that? I'm not just saying that. He believed that. So he, he, he's, he's thinking, boy, it's all done. Now, 13 more years go by, okay? Now, by this time, Ishmael is, is, uh, is, is he's a young man. And in the, in the Jewish religion, you become a man at 13 years old. So Ishmael at 13, he's a young man. By this time, Abram is 99. And Sarah is 10 years younger. She's, uh, she's 89 years old. And again, they're just living life, probably enjoying life because they think, boy, God gave us, gave us a son that he promised. Okay, but see, God, that wasn't his promise at all. And he's not finished with them. We see this in Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram 
And God said to Abraham, uh, as for Sarah, now right in, this, right in here is where he names him. He changes his name from Abram to Abraham right in, those, in that passage. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, and kings of peoples shall come from her. So God comes to him when he's 99 years old, and says, Abraham, all that stuff you did, you tried to make it all happen on your own, that's not, that was not my plan. I know you named your son God has heard. I know you thought that was my plan, but that was not my plan. I never intended it. I was always going to give Sarah a son. And now he promises him that uh, particularly. So God intends to fulfill his promise in a way that removes all grounds for human boasting. When he fulfills this promise, nobody's going to be able to say, boy, I was right there helping God. I, I was a part of that. Nobody's going to be able to boast. God's going to do it in a way that He and He alone gets the glory. Let's read Genesis 17, 17-19. Again, you don't have to turn there. It says this. When God told him that... Now remember, Abraham's 99. Sarah's 89 years old. When Abra and God says, I'm going to give Sarah a son. Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live in your sight. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting, everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Now I want you to watch something here. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, what you did, you thought you were helping me out, but you, that was you, man. That was all your works. That was all your effort. It had nothing to do with me. I'm going to give you a son by Sarah. And even at that point, watch what Abraham says. Oh, that Ishmael might live in your sight. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I know you say I did this, but bless it anyway. Bless what I did. Don't, don't leave me hanging here, God, that somehow or another all that stuff was for nothing. Can't you bless Ishmael? Can't you bless my effort, my works? And God says... No. No, I'm not going to do that. That was never the plan. Just because you went off and left field and did your own thing and you somehow want me to bless that, that's not going to happen. I'm going to give, I'm going to do it my way and my way um, alone. So God rejects what Abraham was able to produce on his own and he promises again that in spite of Abraham and Sarah's age, he will have a son. And that is exactly what happened. Genesis 21, 1 through 5. The Lord visited Sarah... As he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, uh, who Sarah born to him, Isaac. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. That would have made Sarah uh, 90 years old. So Isaac is not born according to the flesh, because his birth was not the results of men and women doing it on their own. His birth was because of a promise. By the way, Sarah, you got to understand, Sarah was barren. She had lived years and years and years and years and years and could not produce a child. God, and i tell you something, we've talked about this before. God is just, God's never in a hurry about anything. You remember... If you go down and you go back and read the Old Testament, God tells Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. 
And, and of all things, his wife, Sarah, is barren, right? So he has a son named Isaac, right? Isaac marries, anybody remember who Isaac marries? Rachel? Is it Rachel? I can't remember now. Anyway, Isaac marries Rachel, and guess what? She's barren. And then they finally, she finally, God gives her son named Jacob, and Jacob goes and marries a wife, and she is, guess what? Barren. See, God, all the time, he, what he was wanting was faith. Believe in me. Believe in me. Believe in me. And actually, what he did, he made it hard. God never makes it easy, because he's looking for faith. If faith was easy, everybody would have it. See, what he does is he, he, he almost made it hard to believe, because he wanted, at the end of the day, he wants real faith. He doesn't want the easy believism faith. He wants real faith. And that's exactly what he did. And by the way, it took, like I said, I'm going to give you a son. 25 years later, it happens. God's not in any kind of hurry. So when Isaac is born, he's not born according to the flesh because his birth was a result of God's intervention, not man's devices and man's reasoning. So Abraham had learned his lesson. The only acceptable response to God's promise is trust in that promise. When God promises you something, you just trust in it. You don't try to make it happen on your own. You just trust that he's going to do it, that I don't have to do it within myself. So Paul sums up the story this way. He says, the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. The son of the free woman was born through promise. Now that's what he says. Now, that is a story. And that's a real story to real people. That is actually as it happens. But Paul says... There's an allegory. Look, look at Galatians 4.24. He said, now this, talking about this story, may be interpreted allegorically. Okay, so he says that's a real story, but in this story is a hidden meaning. That's what an allegory is. And what he says is he says these women represent two covenants. Okay, so he's reading this into the story. He's saying these two women, Hagar and Sarah, represent two covenants. And there's a real lesson in this for, for you and I if we just hang on here for just a second. Now, the first thing he does, he focuses on the slave woman in verses 24 to 25 and the child that she bore. He says this. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. That's Hagar. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. All right, let me tell you what he's talking about here. The first thing he says is that Hagar represents Mount Sinai. Now, what happened on Mount Sinai? Ten Commandments. Ten commandments. Remember, Moses leads the people out of Egypt. They come to Mount Sinai, and, and Moses goes up on the, on, the, um, on, the, on the mountain, and he gets the Ten Commandments, right? Paul says, okay, Hagar... She, she, she represents Mount Sinai where the law was given to Moses. Now, here's the question. How is Hagar and this whole affair with Abraham and Ishmael being born, how does that correspond to the law being given on Mount, uh, on Mount Sinai? Okay, Because that's, that's, that's what he's saying. She represents the law being given. Now, at a minimum, there are two similarities. Okay? The first one is this. Hagar giving birth to Ishmael was done according to what? To the flesh. Abraham tried to get God's promised blessing using his own strength without relying on God's supernatural enablement. That's exactly what happened when the law was given on Mount Sinai. 
You see, God gave the law to the people, but instead of humbling themselves and trusting God's grace and God's mercy and God's spiritual power to help them keep the law, I want you to watch what they said. In Exodus 24.3, Moses comes down from the mountain, and it says, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and says, Everything the Lord has spoken, we're going to do them. You see, they should have fell on their face and say, there's no way we can do that. We're not able to keep the law. By the way, Moses, when you went up on the mountain, guess what we did? We just made a golden calf and started worshiping it. There's nothing in us that's going to allow us to keep the law. But instead of doing that and humbling themselves and saying we can't do it, look what they said. Every word the Lord has spoken, we're going to do it. We can do that. We'll follow him. See, they thought, this is easy. We'll just, we'll, we can follow the rules and the laws and the regulations. But you see, they didn't have hearts that were inclined to trust in God. They didn't have a heart that was truly dependent on Him. So like Abraham and Sarah, they depended on their own resources. Now, Abraham and Sarah produced a son, Ishmael. Was Ishmael going to be the heir? No, right? At, at the end of the day, he wasn't going to be the heir. In the same way, All that Israel produced when they tried to keep the law on their own was legalism, which was going to inherit nothing. Okay? The Bible says that only those of faith are children of Abraham and heirs of the Father. You want to be an heir? You want to be a son of Abraham, a daughter of Abraham? You have to be a man and woman of faith. If you're a a man and woman of the law, you're just a legalist, you're just trying to go to church and... And, you know, you do all the things you do so people can see. And someday you're going to go before God and say, Hey, I went to church. I read my Bible. I prayed every once in a while. I was a pretty good person. And he's going to say, I I, I never knew you. I didn't know who you are. We never had a relationship. You never put your faith in me. You see, if you're you're one of those people, you you just follow the laws, follow the rules and the regulations, so you can somehow or another put a check mark by it, and God will say, Well, that's a pretty good person. The Bible says one day you're, you're just a legalist. You're not going to inherit anything. You're not going to inherit the promises. So that's the first similarity, which leads us to the second one. Galatians 4.24, Paul says, One is from Mount Sinai, again talking about Hagar, which buried children for slavery. So what he's saying is both Hagar and the law bear children for slavery. You see, the English word religion is derived from a Latin word called religare. Okay? Religare means to bind up or to tie back. You know, and that's, that's real, to me, that's real revealing. The word religion literally comes from the word that means to bind up. In other words, when, you, when you're a religious person, the idea is that you're in bondage to rules and regulations and performance. Okay? And in this verse, by the way, Paul dumps all religion into the same bucket. He's not saying... You know, it doesn't matter if it's a Jewish religion, an Arab religion, a Chinese religion, or even the Christian religion. If, if you're just, you listen, you can come to church, you can have the truth right in front of you, but if you use this Bible just as a set of rules and regulations to somehow or another as a ladder, and every little rule and regulation is a step on the ladder, you're trying to climb your way to heaven, you're never going to get there. It's not about faith. We have to, we have to be the opposite of the of the. Israelite people, we have to fall on our knees and say, God, there's no way I can ever be perfect. 
Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glorious standard of God. There's no way I can make it. you got to help me. I put my faith in your Son. Give me your Holy Spirit. That's the only way we get there, right? So Paul, even the Christian religion can be dumped into that bucket if you use it as a ladder to climb your way to God because all religions require performance which enslaves people, okay? So Hagar, by the way, Hagar is a slave girl and slave girls give birth to what? Slaves. Okay? She was a slave girl and slave girls give birth to slaves. Ishmael was never going to be accepted as an heir. In fact, at the end of the day, he was no different than his mother. She was a slave. He was going to be born a slave. In the, in the same manner, all the Mosaic law did was bring forth performance slaves to the law. That's all he did. Okay? So when the Israelites take the law upon themselves without trusting God to, to enable them to obey it, they become slaves because they have no freedom to do the law from the heart. Now, Paul moves on to verse 25, and he's going to look at the other side of the coin, which is Sarah. He says this, Now, say Hagar... Oh, oh, by the way, one more thing. It says, Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Now, what he's doing, he's saying, Hagar represents not only Mount Sinai, where the law was given, she also represents the present Jerusalem. Now, the present Jerusalem is where? Where? Okay, it's in, it's in uh, Judah, which is in Israel, which is in this earth. It's, it's earthly. That's what he's saying. Okay? See, by the way, this is a direct attack on the Judaizers. Remember, they come from Jerusalem, and they say, no, faith's not enough. You've got to follow the law. See, where'd they come from? They came from Jerusalem. So that's Paul's point. Don't follow false teachers. They may tell you to you can become saved. Remember, Abraham had two sons. One was Ishmael, one was Isaac. One was a son of slavery, one was a son of freedom. One was a son of a, of a, of a, of a slave, one was a son of the free woman. False teachers will come, and if they try to get you to perform the law, perform rules, perform regulations, and you'll be a son of Abraham, Paul says, that's right, you'll be a son of Abraham, but be careful, you'll be the wrong kind of son. You're a son of slavery. You're a son of the flesh. You're not a son of faith. You're not a son of, of the promise. So be, be careful. You'll be an Ishmael and not, a, not an Isaac. Now, Paul flips the allegory over, and he wants us to look at the other side of the coin, which is Sarah and her child Isaac. And this is about to get to the point that I really wanted to make today. Now what he does here, he skips over any mention of the Abrahamic covenant, which he's covered in detail earlier in Galatians, and he just brings the allegory right up to date. He says this, verses 26 to 27, But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So after saying that Hagar is the current earthly Jerusalem, which is represented by the Judaizers and their legalism, he contrasts that with the Jerusalem above, which is represented by Sarah. Okay? And what does he mean by Jerusalem above? Well, again, he's talking about... Look what Paul says in Galatians 3, 1-3. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are where? Above. You're, this is not your home. Anything you can gain or anything you can gather or anything you can, can obtain on this earth is, is temporary. This is not our home. Our home is the new Jerusalem. 
Our home is a city that's above. So he says, seek things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you've died and your life is hid with Christ in God. The Jerusalem above represents a dwelling place of God. Our life and our freedom flow down from Him and our eternal lives and our destinies are already secure because we're citizens of that city. Now, Paul says, now watch this. Paul says Sarah represents that city because she gave birth to Isaac, not by reliance on herself, but by an act of God from above in fulfillment of the promise. Everybody with me on that so far? Okay, so Sarah gets to represent the city above. She gets to represent the dwelling place of, of God. Now, therefore, spiritually speaking, she is the mother of all Christians, of people whose lives are not the product of human resources, but of God's supernatural work. By the way, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you're born again, I want you to look what John says about you. He says this, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. Everybody see what he's saying there? Just like Isaac was a, was a, was, was a spiritual miracle to be born, Paul says if you've been, I mean, John says if you've been born again, you were born... You, you didn't walk in and say, boy, I'm the smartest person in the world. I can see this Bible's true. I'm going to choose God. No, it says you're not born by your own will. You're born, again, by the will of God. God says, I choose you. Everybody see that? It's a, it's a miracle from God. God did it. Okay, that's what religion does is tries to get people to God on their own. God says you can't ever get there. I choose you. I do it. I do that, okay? Now, Here's what I want to get to this morning. Think about Abraham and Sarah for a moment. Were they perfect? No. In fact, they wavered, right? They, they didn't believe, they go back, they didn't believe God could do it. So they tried to make it happen using their own ingenuity and their own power and their own resources. Yet Sarah gets to represent the heavenly Jerusalem. She gets to kind of be called the mother of us all. But she didn't, she wasn't perfect, was she? So, I mean, what makes, what, let me ask you, what makes them worthy of receiving the promise to be our spiritual father and mother? What, what, why did, I mean, because they didn't, you go back and read the story, they weren't pillars of faith, were they? Were they? No. I mean, Abraham believed, but then he wavered. But yet, at the end of the day, they, they get to be put up on a pedestal. What makes them worthy? Anybody? What makes them worthy? Well, God chose them. Okay, God chose them. So what makes them worthy? Let me tell you. Absolutely nothing makes them worthy. That's the whole point. See, they had no, it, had, it, it had nothing to do with Abraham and Sarah deserving it. God gave them a child because He wanted to do it. That's the end of the story. You see, if it had anything to do with them deserving it, then it wouldn't have been the spiritual miracle that it was. That's the whole point of this whole thing. God did it because He wanted to do it. So Paul says this in verse 28. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. Man, I love that. See what he's saying? What makes me deserve it? What makes me deserve to be a child of promise? What's the answer? Absolutely nothing. 
Absolutely nothing. I'm standing here today a child of God because God said I want to do it. I'm going to do it in a way that no human being gets the glory. I'm going to choose Derek in a way that no human being can do it. So he reached down and says, I choose you so that he would get the glory for it. Not anybody else. He would do it. See, I love that. Because I can go back to that story and say, what's so great about Abraham and, and Sarah? Nothing. I mean, here's, here's Abraham in the land of Ur, and, and God just says, look, here's this guy. I'm gonna, come on, come with me. I'm going to make you a, a, a father of, of, of many nations. What did, he, what did he do to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. Well, he wasn't smarter than anybody else. He wasn't greater than anybody else. He was just a guy. And God says, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it in a way that, that God himself gets the glory and, um, and nobody else. You see, there's nothing that you and I can do to earn it or deserve it. Any effort on our part just leads to legalism and slavery. Let me say that again. There's nothing you and I can ever do to deserve to be made right with God, to deserve to be led into heaven. Nothing. Any effort that we do to make ourselves better, to clean ourselves up, it's just legalism. It's just, it's just like Abraham and Sarah did. Let's, let's go do this so God will we'll make it happen. But see, our spiritual life, like Ishmael, is not owing to the work of man. Our spiritual life, like Isaac, is owing to the work of God in us, fulfilling His promise to make for Himself a people and to put His Spirit within them and write His law on their heart. See, God saved us because He wanted to. End of story. Y'all remember in the Old Testament, God says, I'm going to make a people. And I'm going to, I'm not, I don't want a people that thinks they can keep the law and then breaks it every time they turn around. I'm going to take a people and I'm going to take out that heart of stone and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh and I'm going to put my spirit within them and I'm going to write my law on the inside of them. I'm going to make it part of who they are. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make my, for myself a people and that's exactly what he did and I get to be part of it. Not because of anything I did, anything I did, nothing. He just said, I choose you. And if you're here this morning and you're a child of God, you're here because God said, I choose you. He gets the glory. Nobody, nobody else. And, and by the way, just so you'll know, I'm not making that up or somehow implying that that's what Paul says. Look at verses 28 through 29. Paul says, Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, also it is now. And you see what he's saying here? Children of promise are the same as children of Spirit. <coughs> You want to be a child of promise and not a child of... You have, to be a, you have to be a child of the Spirit, right? I mean, the Spirit has to be, to be in you. Uh, by the way, so it, those are interchangeable. And the, this confirms that the children of promise Paul refers to here are people whose inner life is the work of God's Spirit in fulfillment of His promise. In other words, the difference between Ishmael types, those that rely on works, and Isaac types, those who really put their faith in Christ, is what? It's the Spirit. It's a supernatural work of Christ to put the Spirit inside of you. That's the only difference. Okay, He does that. Okay, And that's a beautiful thing. Finally, in verse 30, Paul assures us that, that it's not the Ishmael types, those not legalists, those not who rely on works and not who rely on themselves, but the Isaac types, those who rely on Christ, who will inherit the blessing of Abraham. He says this in verse 30. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Listen, this is the saddest thing. 
there, Abraham went through all of this to make a son, right? And it's kind of sad, right? Because Ishmael, at the end of the day, did he do anything wrong? He didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't his fault, right, that, that his mom and dad had him and he was put in this situation. It wasn't his fault. And so Abraham, and, and by the way, did Abraham love him? Absolutely. Abraham loved him. And Abraham even said, God, look, can you bless Ishmael? Can you make him the heir? I know I didn't go about it the right way, but can you bless that? And God said, no. No. You see, one day, we, we can apply this to our lives. We've all got things in our lives where we try to make it happen. We try to clean ourselves up. We do it through self-discipline. We do it through, we, we try to be better people on our own. And, and then we come here today like this and we see that's not the way it's done. But in the back of my mind, we say, but yeah, God, look at everything I did. Can you bless it? Can you bless all my works? Can, and God's going to say, no. <laughs> no. It doesn't really matter what your motive was. I can't bless that. I can only bless what I produce. You know, what? Tell, somebody tell me, what's our purpose here on earth? Anybody know? Say it again. To glorify God. That is your purpose for being here. It's to glorify God, not to glorify yourself. Anything in your life that glorifies yourself, glorifies man, is it's 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 useless. It's legalism. It's nothing. Only what you do in your life that gives glory to Him gets blessed. So I can. You see what He says? The, the son of the slave. What does it say? What does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. What he's saying is cast out your own anything that's done of your own works, your own morality, your own self-discipline, throw it away. Get rid of it. It'll never be blessed. And as long as you hang on to it, Christ is doing you no good. Get rid of it. Fall completely on Him. Be a child of promise, a child of the Spirit, a man and woman of faith. That's the only way that you're ever going to get anywhere with God is by saying... Look, I cast myself on Jesus Christ. I got nothing good in me. You become a child of faith. And that and that alone um, makes us right with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Galatians 4. We thank you for... uh